0: Welcome to Elixir Mix, your weekly Elixir podcast talking with members of the community. My name is Mark Erickson and on our panel today, we have Eric Ostrich. Howdy. Josh Adams. Hey there. And Arik, could you uh, give us a little introduction to yourself?
1: Uh, Hi all. My name is Arik. I'm a maintainer of contributor to the telemetry project and also a member of Erlang Ecosystem Foundation uh, Observability Working Group.
2: This episode is sponsored by sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So,
0: Yes. And so we were very glad to have you on today. Uh, there's a lot of fun things that I would love to learn and just kind of talk about like uh, specifically around telemetry the library you've been working on, kind of how it came into being, but also I'd love to just kind of, before we jump into that, just talk about, uh, kind of the, the Erlang ecosystem foundation and your role in that because you are on, as I understand it, the observability working group. That's right. You know, so I'm sure telemetry has a big role in that, but I just kind of love to hear about, uh, kind of how you came to be on that, uh, group and, and kind of like what some of the responsibilities are.
1: Mm-hmm. And so I'm the Erlang ecosystem foundation itself. It's goal is to basically nurture, uh, these, these different areas of, of the community, create working groups, which are focused on maintaining libraries, uh, improving tooling, uh, creating documentation for for these different areas. And observability is one of them. So I became a member of the group because of my work on telemetry. Basically, when the foundation was started, Tristan Slaughter, who is the founder of of the working group, reached out out to to me and asked if I wanted to, to be a member of it.
0: Very cool. So, and now one of the things I think we should mention is that, uh, telemetry is written in Erlang and I think it's interesting just kind of understanding why it is in Erlang. Cause I think the original kind of early versions of it were in Elixir. Is that right?
1: Yes, yes, that's correct.
0: Um,
1: yeah, so telemetry started off as as Elixir project and at the beginning, we haven't even thought about, uh, use, implementing in, in Erlang because why would anyone in Erlang community want to use that? But after a while, I think it was like after half a year, around beginning of, of last of this year, Tristan Slaughter, who is also the founder of the working group, sub- submitted an issue on telemetry's GitHub, as telling us that it would be actually a good idea to to port this library to uh, to Erlang, uh, and that made a lot of sense because, well, telemetry's goal is to provide this unified layer for instrumenting libraries and applications initially in the Elixir community, but it made, it made sense to, to have this layer across the whole Beam ecosystem. I can see that it can be used in the, in the future in, in different libraries in Erlang too.
0: Nice. So has your personal experience been more with Elixir previously and then you kind of had to jump into Erlang or did you come from the Erlang side or kind of where have you, how did you come to this?
1: ecosystem yourself yeah so i started doing Erlang because of the university course uh when i learned this strange language that well it was nothing like anything else yeah so so i was learning it and we had some kind of project at the beginning at the end of that course where we need to prepare a presentation about some concept from from the Erlang world and at that time i learned about elixir so I bought Programming Elixir by Dave Thomas. I read through it like during a single evening and prepared a presentation uh, about Elixir and Phoenix. And I think there was some kind of simple chat application, you know, the one that, that every Phoenix, <laughs> I guess probably every Phoenix beginner starts with because it's so cool because you can't do that in any other language like that. Uh, yeah, and after that, I learned that Erlang Solutions has an office in in the city i studied in and i just applied for uh, for a job there and that's how i started that's how i started my my journey with Erlang and Elixir i would say my experience is equally with both so i've been doing Erlang projects i've been doing Elixir projects the same goes for open source so whatever was needed i can do both basically but i prefer elixir if you ask me privately i would say that elixir is the game
0: well that that's interesting um because i would, i'd love to hear just uh, briefly maybe you can touch on some of your uh what you find um beneficial that that i don't know speaks to you more that you say elixir is kind of uh where you'd like would you would rather spend your time given the two
1: mm-hmm. so yeah I, I know that a lot of people will probably uh well they, they won't agree with me but i really prefer the syntax, uh, that might be not the best reason, but that it really speaks to me. I mean, it's uh, it's much easier for me to write Elixir than write Erlang. So I think that Elixir, from the very beginning, when I started doing it, uh, it had much more pleasant tooling. So at that time, there already was uh, River 3 in Erlang, which is a great build tool. I think Elixir brought this mindset that, that whenever you create a tool, a library, it, it should be just pleasant to use. So it goes for documentation, it goes, the same thing goes for, you know, logger messages. Uh, I don't know if you have had pleasure uh, reading stack traces in Erlang. That's it's kind, of, it's kind of painful the first time you encounter it. I mean, after a while you learn to do it, but, but the first look is, might, might be scary. So that's it. Elixir is just more convenient,
3: I would say. Yeah, that's my take as well. So it's good to hear. Good to hear I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Well, I would love to hear, let's jump into uh, telemetry. So you mentioned a little bit about how it first got started in Elixir and then it was pointed out like, Hey, this could be beneficial to the wider beam audience, the, the beam ecosystem. And so you being able to do both languages comfortably, like myself, I've never, I haven't spent the time to be able to write Erlang. I can read it and understand what's going on, but I haven't made that effort to write it. Uh, so you, you're like, okay, yeah, I can do this. And you jump in, you start doing it. And I was just curious as to what some of the initial goals were that you know even started the project. Like, What was the uh, or or any, anything that was being modeled after, like to say, this, there's an example in another ecosystem that's doing something we like. You know, uh, kind of where did this come from?
1: Yeah, so I think telemetry is quite unique uh, in a way that it's a very small library. So when we started it, our goal was basically let's create something for monitoring, well, let, let's create something to simplify monitoring Elixir applications. And we had no idea what that thing would be. Uh, So we did this little exercise uh, uh, with with some other uh, colleagues at the office. And we figured out that the source of all the monitoring, the the source of all monitoring data, so metrics, uh, traces, logs, so, the source of all of it is events happening in, inside your application or inside libraries you're using. So, the event might be that the web request came into your application or that you have just finished processing the database query. So, and based on those events, you can generate anything you want. You handle event and you emit a log. You handle event and you bump some counters somewhere so that it's visible on the graph, and that's what telemetry is all about. It's about emitting events and handling events.
4: Yeah, I, I really like the like what you all have, have have ended up at with the the telemetry. Like it's like it's like I don't know feels like a nice like hook into your system, um, and so you can just like you just drop the execute wherever and then somewhere else cares about it. Um, so yeah, I, 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 think you all have landed on something
1: great there. Yeah. So I think there's also, yeah, so, so this is kind of the, the implementation of it and you know, the mechanism behind telemetry, but it also aligns nicely with the goal that it, it should be used across the whole ecosystem. It's, it is small, so there's barely any cost of, I mean, barely any penalty for including it in a, inside your library or your application. If nobody handles an event, there's like very little cost associated with that. And also, uh, we try to keep it stable. I think the current release has been there for, I think for six months or more. And the API hasn't changed so far and is being integrated into this bigger community projects. Uh I don't think we're
0: gonna change it in the future. Yes, so you mentioned there are a couple of like the community projects and libraries being able to uh, kind of code to it with very low impact. Like if, if, no, if no one is interested in subscribing to that information, then it's like, it's like almost no impact. So now is that the case where it is being integrated? Cause you mentioned like database queries and web requests. So is it being integrated directly into Ecto and Phoenix? Uh, yes, yep,
1: that's right. Uh, I think Ecto was actually the first project uh ever that or ever on Hex that uh, included telemetry integrated with it uh, and recently Phoenix in version one four shift uh, telemetry integration as well uh, yeah, so our thinking from the very beginning was that if you want to get traction in the community, if you want to make this library used then we need to get it into these big projects. And in my opinion, I might be, I might be biased here. Uh, It fits very nicely there because yeah, if you don't use this information, there's almost no, no cost. Uh, But if you want to use it, if you have a use case for that thing, then just install your event handler and that's it.
0: So that's a good time to just kind of mention, like, how do I get started with it then? Because uh, what I like about it, like what you just mentioned is like if it's built into my controllers, uh, so my my web actions are happening and they're firing events, and my database activities firing events. Like I don't even have to do anything special to start having access to that data. Uh, so like what do I what is my first step to doing uh, that? I need to do to get, like start accessing that information.
1: So if you want to use metrics, there are a couple of of choices here. You could do the same thing as with logging. So, you use some external uh, library for metrics, like a library for, for StatsD or for Prometheus. Or if around people are listening to this, they probably would recognize Exometer. But also, you could use some libraries which provide metrics on top of telemetry events. So, one of these libraries is telemetry metrics. It's like telemetry.metrics, which is written in Elixir. Uh, so telemetry metrics provides some abstraction, which allows you to define how you want to aggregate data carried by telemetry events. So using telemetry metrics, you can say that, Hey, I want to count how many requests are coming into applica- are coming into my application. So what you would do, you would create a counter, a counter metric. It would tell it to count like web request events, which might be a bit emitted by Plug or Phoenix. And later, when you have a bunch of these metrics defined, you could install some reporter, which is external, which is some kind of external library, which at runtime subscribes to these events and emits metrics at at the system the reporter works with. Yeah, so so telemetry metrics library itself allows you to. Define what kind of aggregations you want to build, and reporters are used for exposing these metrics to the external world. And right now we have uh, two reporters maintained by uh, telemetry team, or rather by 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 the working group, by the observability working group. Uh, So there is one for Prometheus and one for StatsD. But there, from what I saw, there are also two other on hex. Uh, One is for Uh, AWS CloudWatch, which is quite a new thing. And there's also a reporter for uh, Riemann, Riemann-compatible metric servers.
2: Very cool. I didn't know about uh, the CloudWatch one. That's interesting too. One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's I don't want to deal with Docker. I don't want to deal with Kubernetes. I don't want to deal with setting up servers. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on, so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington from the Food Fight Show. And we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight Show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. So one of the things
0: I think I, I really like about the design, like you mentioned how telemetry is a really small library and it's not trying to do too much. It's not trying to say, well, and here's how you get the data out. right? It's just saying like, uh, you know, because I, I, like currently I'm using Prometheus as my data collection, but I also recognize that like in my DevOps story, that can change. Uh, you know, I could swap out something else. Something else might become more valuable to the business or or whatever. Uh, and that that doesn't mean I have to, uh, you know, really dig in deep to my application to see how that's going to impact it. I mean, there will be some impact, obviously, but um, I was also wondering like if I want to, get business insight into specific events uh, like you mentioned like some of the system ones I can count queries I can see when a query length you know the time exceeds a certain interval or a certain time window I can like kind of give alerts like hey slow queries uh, like if I want something like uh, maybe to say a user has signed up or an order was placed you know things that are kind of more important to the business and just kind of custom to my application Uh I assume there's an easy way for me to just emit my own events, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, in the same way that the libraries use telemetry for emitting events, you can use the exactly the same mechanism for emitting events inside your application. So for example, in a place where you have your signup code, you just add a line which emits event and you need to provide it some kind of unique name so that you can later attach to that event. and you provided whatever data you, need, you you want to expose that's it when it comes to web applications you know when you're using Phoenix and ecto and stuff like that and you're most likely doing your sign up inside inside some kind of controller then this data is already available to you anyway so you can leverage that but yeah the basic idea is that you can use telemetry for any kind of in any kind of scenario where you want to expose some data at runtime to other parts of your code. So once we've we've started to emit these
4: events, like how, how does so I, I know I know you can attach a function handler to these events with what telemetry attach, I think. So like how does that attachment actually work? Like how how does the execute node to run those f- functions? Yeah, so
1: this kind of goes into the implement implementation of telemetry. Um, Yay. So <laughs> whenever you install an event handler, uh, what we do is that we insert that event handler inside ETS table, uh, and we use that, the event name as the key in that ETS table. So as you know, ETS is a very fast uh, built-in term storage, and you can access terms by key uh, instead, instead of searching through the whole table. And whenever we emit an event, we need to provide uh, an event name and we just look up all the handlers under the event name key. We research, we research a couple of implementations and it turns out that, that, that ETS was, was the fastest one. And there are faster solutions to, to this problem, but they have, or they behave worse if you start removing event handlers. So there is this thing in newer versions of Erlang called a persistence term which is like a global in VM storage for any kinds of terms. You can also access them by key. Uh, but the thing is that whenever you update the term, the VM needs to run, basically scan every process and garbage, garbage collect the data. Uh, that Basically garbage collect the terms that you just deleted from, from the persistent term. So that's that becomes very costly if, to, if you if delete things often.
4: Yeah, and I've I've definitely seen uh, telemetry eject uh, event handlers as like if you, if you write a bug in your handler, you don't want the code that's not like that just emitted the event to die. So I've definitely seen like a big red error that's like flashes by. It's like oop, we just got rid of that. <laughs> so so yeah. I,
0: one of the questions I had then. So it sounds like you know the, the ETS table uh, kind of keeps that the list of all of the events that are registered. So how does that, when an an event is fired and new data is being sent to it, how does this other listener, uh, get activated?
1: Yeah. So, uh, when you attach an event handler, the the, the event handler itself is just a reference to to the function. So it's an anonymous function that we use in Elixir. And whenever we, we fire an event, we just look, look this up. We get like a list of of all event handlers, and, and we invoke these functions like any other function in uh, which process. In yeah, so uh, that's uh, probably the most important part about telemetry and, and the implementation, that uh, the event handlers are in, are invoked in the process which emits an event, and the reason for that is that it provides a nice back pressure mechanism. So, if we had like a single process inside the system that handles all the events like if you if we had implemented telemetry for gen event, that would happen. But in that case this this process becomes a huge bottleneck, like you emit event for every request that comes into your system and and that single process needs to go through the handlers and and invoke them so yeah. So the the best, well, maybe not the best, but the most, or the approach which which suits the most applications is the one that that the process, which I mean, the event takes the penalty for running the the event handlers.
0: I love that. That is. I do too. That is elegant, because like I was wondering, like, is it pub sub? You know, is there message passing? You know, if I if I have a larger message that uh, like that the event has a larger you know size to its data that it's passing. Like, would there be an impact there? But it's like, no, because it's all being run by the process. So, but I I just want to like, for you, dear listener, I I thought that was a a beautiful explanation of how he's doing it, which is basically as we attach events, we are, if I understand this correctly, we're like creating entries in the ETS table that say, uh, I'm kind of registering my function to be called. And so you have a list of functions that are being called. Uh, so when an event fires, it says, Oh, I have a whole list of functions. These are the people that care about it. And just iterates through them and says
3: fire, 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 fire. Is that is that the right idea? Yep, yeah, that's right. All right. So this brings up a question for me. That's great. I love that. All right. So um we can dynamically subscribe to events, right? So um if some code that dynamically subscribes to an event runs on node A, how does how does node B know to emit it? Does that happen? Because like all I've done okay. so far is i've I've subscribed to events sort of uh, I've set up handlers in like application setups, so all my nodes are running the same handlers, but is it possible for one node to have a, a handler added and it you know it just lives on that node
1: no Es uh, tables are local to the node when you uh, where, where you create them uh, when you install the event handler it's always installed on the node where you call the telemetry attach and it, it's only Invoked by the processes which invoke uh, which call telemetry execute on that same node, so, so it does the node boundaries. If I wanted
3: to, and I have literally never needed to do this, but if I wanted to add a dynamic uh, event handler, I would need to add mechanisms that executed the code across all the nodes on my system.
1: Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. basically, you would probably need to send send some kind of messages between the nodes to okay. let other others know. I'm oh, not yeah. suggesting this is even a good idea. I just once <laughs> yeah. I heard the
3: implementation. I had to know.
0: Yeah. But one, of, one of the points I want to make sure people kind of get there is like, uh, when we talk about ETS, we talk about, you know, Erlang term storage and functions and modules are terms and they can be stuck into ETS as well. And I just love the way you just described that. Like there's no message passing, there's no communication across nodes. So like I can have a lot of events, And it's not increasing any of the uh, like, I don't know, the message passing overhead within my cluster. And, And I just think it's an elegant solution. So thank you for sharing that, that's awesome.
3: So I have a question only tangentially related, but I don't know if there are other more directly related questions before I get to it that are maybe better for now. Okay, I'll take your silence as a no. All right. So my uh, my tangential question is: Have you seen Open Census, and do you have any thoughts on on Open Census? I ran into this when I was uh, doing some stuff that I had originally done in telemetry, and we decided to hoist up to Open Census for integration with debugging eventually.
1: Uh, yeah. So Open Census uh, is um, is a project. I think it was created by Google. It's basically uh, a specification for. For common APIs that you can use in different languages to create metrics, uh, to create traces, and it also defines on-the-wire formats for these things. So, let's say that um, you use Open Census in your airline or Elixir application. You export metrics to, um, but but basically it <laughs> it provides this. Uh, this specification uh, for yeah, for for the on the wire format, so that you can easily pass the distributed traces through through different services, and basically you can use the same familiar API for in different languages. And there is airline implementation of Open Census. So to start with Open Census and telemetry is that the the observa- the observability working group uh, members of it are also. Well, Contributors to telemetry and contributors to Open Census are both are both groups belong to the observability working group. And right now we work really closely. We try to make sure that integration between Open Census and telemetry is as smooth as possible. So, for example, right now you can do this thing that you basically telemetry events are emitted somewhere by your application or the libraries you use but you can use OpenCensus to build metrics based on telemetry events. So that's a basically kind of was one of our goals with telemetry, that various libraries can in- integrate with it, and OpenCensus is one of them. Okay, cool. And yeah. Also, yeah. go on. Yeah, it, it also supports the things that we haven't looked into at the beginning of, of telemetry project, like distributed tracing. And right now, we're working with with... Open census maintainers uh, to to bring some tracing primitives into not telemetry itself, but, but the telemetry project umbrella.
3: Very cool. Yeah, that's that's where I was hoping I would hear that it was going because that's like the very next most important thing to me is to have a really solid tracing uh,
1: story. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I should also mention that Open Census is kind of outdated name. The, the project is now called Open Telemetry. Which provide, creates a beautiful name conflict for, for us. Uh, so you have telemetry and open telemetry at the same time in the community. But I hope it, it doesn't create too much confusion.
0: Yeah, how oh, no assume yours is closed or something.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, so so open telemetry is a merger of Open Census and other projects called Open Tracing, and now they work together to to create this single stack. And they keep, they keep neither name and just use yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we try to be like the, the, the biggest common denominator, like the most basic thing that you can use in your application and the other yeah. stuff. Yeah.
0: It's a, it's a good design. So have you heard any, uh, ways that people are using telemetry in their projects and that they're getting value out of it? Any kind of stories you could kind of share?
1: Yeah. So when it comes to stories. Uh, from production, I know that, uh, with maps is using, uh, telemetry quite heavily, I think they trans, they basically are transitioning their, their services to to telemetry. Uh, obviously all Ecto free users were forced to use telemetry, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's a success story, but yeah, uh, also at my current gig, because I'm not with Erlang solutions anymore. We also use telemetry in, uh, in our system and well. It works uh, very nicely.
3: So, is, is there someone from the telemetry uh, or from, from the working group that can kind of strong arm Absinthe into putting it in or, or are they already doing it? Actually, I, I haven't looked in a few months. Mm-hmm. Come again, sorry. I, didn't uh, get that. To, uh, I would just love for Absinthe to have to emit telemetry events by default. Oh. Uh, I, I had to build a plugin for it and, and honestly, I did a
1: bad job and wish someone better at it had done it instead of me. Yeah, so Absinthe uh, ships with telemetry integration for quite some time now. I think it's like two or three months. Uh, That's Um, awesome to hear. So yes, the answer is yes. Yeah, the answer is yes. Vince Polly, one of the working group members uh, built this integration and yeah, it's there. You folks are awesome. I'll pass that on to them.
2: One of my favorite communities in programming these days is the Angular community. Every time I go to an Angular conference or meet up with some of my friends who are in the Angular community, I have a great time. And a lot of them have wound up on Adventures in Angular. So if you're doing front-end development, you're looking for a way to keep current on the Angular ecosystem, and you want to have a good time listening to fun people talk about great topics related to Angular, then go check out Adventures in Angular at adventuresinangular.com. So if people are wanting to get involved and help out with the Observability Working Group or
0: the Telemetry Project, uh, what kinds of help are you guys looking for?
1: Yeah, so... When it comes to working group, I think what would be most beneficial if folks would reach to reach out to us, telling us what kind of tooling, which would be common across the beam ecosystem they would expect because there are only a few of us, we we, we all have like maybe around 10, we all have our own experiences, uh, with, with monitoring systems, but obviously any kind of ideas uh, are always welcome also, if you feel like. There is some kind of educational material that's missing or documentation that's missing for for any of the projects we run so telemetry or open telemetry please do reach out uh, because that that's what we care about specifically for for the working group one of the goals is to uh, create a set of best practices for for monitoring uh applications on the beam so yeah that would be really helpful
0: awesome well, I think that's a great place to end there. Uh, and I would love to inc- just encourage people like kind of keep that in mind as you're working on your own systems, and you're thinking like, Oh, this, I, I'm aware of this scenario where observability would be helpful and just kind of speak out and kind of help other people be aware that that this is a concern. Mm-hmm. So that's a great time to transition to picks. Eric, do you want to share something?
4: Sure. So I will, uh, I, Over the weekend, I started working on a new parser for uh, what I thought was the HCL language, the HashiCorp language, or HashiCorp configuration language, which I then found out was the universal configuration language. So anyway, so I've been working on a parser in that um, partially for some like, the eventual goal is maybe write mud world definition in it. um, Because I think it kind of works out well. But anyway, so if you want to see what a bunch of, uh, leaks and yak looks like. Um, it was really, it's really fun to, I've been having a a blast with this as like trying to reduce shift conflicts. And it's just like, it's like a little puzzle as you're like, Oh, there should, there shouldn't be a space here or like make a space or not a space work. And like all the different kind of lines and whatnot. So I've, I've had a lot of fun with that. So yeah, check that out. What are the coolest things you've done to uh, like to fuzz it or to figure out, uh, creepy stuff to throw at it? Uh, so I guess last night was specifically uh, for a while I had assignments where there had to, it was like a variable name space equals space something, right? And so I was like trying to figure out how to let you not include the spaces on either side or maybe only on one side or like the H U C L UCL is also JSON compatible. So you could include a semicolon or sorry, a colon. Um so was, that was the the most recent thing, so that i had i like added a new thing called equality, so it 's like it 's just every single definition of space equals space equals space space equals or just equals, <laughs> and like making that work where there's not seventeen shift conflicts by just like adding a single line was was kind of uh tricky, and just like kind of wandering through all of them to make sure there weren't like two spaces butted up against each other, yeah so it's just a lot of a lot of like tweaking and like reading some BNF is esque like grammar. So yeah. Ha, that sounds fun. All right. Josh, how about you? Yeah, I have a pick. It's not technology related really at all,
3: unless you count futuristic technology. So it's um the depths of deep space nine, an all new series. And it's some guy I've not seen before on on YouTube, uh, just yelling about uh about every Deep Space Nine episode, apparently. <laughs> so I haven't I've only seen like the first the first thing, but it's really fun. I'm I'm a massive Trekkie, so I enjoy it.
0: Uh, that's, that sounds funny. I just finished rewatching Deep Space Nine not too long ago, so that's I'm in the middle of it. All right. So I had two picks. Um, one was just something I saw. It was an article, it was a blog post, uh, just in, saw in the community, and it was on puddleofcode.com. But it was this kind of this showing a proof of concept way of bundling up an Elixir application with Live View to act a little bit more like an electron app and i thought that's an interesting idea now it's this is this is early days right like this isn't the kind of thing you could actually ship you know like you know electron gives you a lot of things it like hooks into the the desktop to get notifications and all you know like all that kind of stuff so it doesn't do anything like that but it's just like an interesting idea like oh we could be going in this direction Uh, i know like with uh ubuntu and other linux distributions they have flat packs and snaps as way of uh, bundling up applications. And it's like, that would be a way of del- delivering something that acts like a desktop app, but is Elixir uh, running on the native you know, system and doing live view. And I thought that sounds really cool. I'd love to see if that actually goes anywhere. Uh, then the other one is, and I'd love to hear from you guys, I run on Linux. Uh, but this is a command that works on my computer. It's lscpu. And I had known about LS USB for like listing USB devices or lspci for PCI devices. LS CPU uh, gives you information about your uh, CPU. And on my system, it showed uh, like which vulnerabilities like Meltdown and Spectre had firmware fixes in place or not. And it was showing like my min and max clock speed and the processor family. And I thought it was pretty cool because like my desktop computer that I use for most of my stuff at home, uh, it's an older machine I built, my, I built and I don't remember exactly what I put in there for the CPU and it just makes it a really easy way to kind of see all the stats. So that was it for me. So I, I'd love to hear, did
3: it? does it work on Mac? It doesn't. No, okay. See, but says, on, my, on my desktop, I just confirmed that I've got the mitigation for all the, all the vulnerabilities it lists. So that's nice. Yeah, same. Nice, right, interesting. Okay. Um, so
0: that's only for the Linux people out there, I guess.
1: All right, right. I'd love to hear, what do you have to share for us? Yeah, so my first pick is a talk uh, by my former colleague. The talk is called Alchemist's Code, and it basically talks about uh, this idea of designing Elixir applications. To kind of split your application into three, there are three parts. There's service, which kind of contains all your business logic, there's model, which, which describes your know, business entities. And there is uh, IO or data access to basically describe how you interact with the outside world. And yeah, I might be biased here. I have used it on a on couple of projects. And it proved to be really nice way to basically answer the question, where do I put this piece of code? So yeah, I, I recommend you to, to watch that. Mm-hmm. My second pick is a book, which I think has been discussed a bit in, in the community, which is philosophy of software design. Uh, I might not agree with all the ideas uh, in the book, but it has a really good take on, on a few things that we basically do every day. So things like comments, how to design the API with, with the most, like the default scenario being the easiest one to use. Stuff like that, so really recommend that one. And the last thing is a podcast, uh, "The Anatomy of Next." So the first season of the podcast is about uh, things we usually associate with dystopia in popular culture, but l- they look at them from the utopian lens. So things like bio modifications of human body, how how that could be beneficial, or aliens. So some civilization comes into Earth and Teaches us how to do things. Uh, so yeah, that was really nice. And the second season of that podcast is about, uh, humans, uh, life on Mars. So how could we achieve reaching Mars and inhabiting it?
0: Very cool. All right. Well, Ark, I had an awesome time. Uh, thank you for sharing a lot of the insights of how telemetry works. I know I've learned some interesting things. I'm just going to go back and share with my coworkers and, uh, and well, I had a lot of fun. So if people would like to follow you online or get in touch with you, how would you direct them to do that?
1: Yeah. So, um, I'm a R K G I L on GitHub. So I would read that as argue, but probably not everyone would do that. And I'm the same plus the underscore at the beginning on Twitter, although I haven't used Twitter for, for a while now. Uh, I, I kind of look at it sometimes.
0: That's it for today. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us next week on Elixir Mix. Thanks for coming, Eric. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.